Lord, I thank you for this day and for your many, many wonderful blessings. Uh, We are so undeserving of the mercy that you pour out on us each and every day. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you've allowed us to come back uh, into this place so that we could gather together and spend time in your word, spend time in study, uh, allowing you to refine us through uh, your word, Lord. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would uh, just move in each of our hearts, or that your word would grow down deep, and it would take root in such a way that it would uh, break up hardened ground, uh, that it would make the ground ripe and ready for fruit to be uh, born in our lives. Uh, I ask, um, Lord, as our pastor and his wife are uh, traveling back from their uh, their time of just... Uh, relaxation, that you would continue to comfort them. I know that uh, Donna is going to be going through treatments in the coming weeks, uh, and that is going to just bear on her and bear on Kip as well. And I just ask that your Holy Spirit would uh, move in both of their lives, that you would comfort, that you would strengthen Lord, that you would uh, use these moments in their lives to refine them. Lord, ultimately our hope is not in uh, tomorrow. Our hope is not in what our lives might be tomorrow, but our hope is in you. And when our hope is found fixed in you, uh, what a hope we have indeed. And and I know that both of them, uh, they know that, Lord, but sometimes we need to be continually reminded of that and I ask that as a church that we would uh, support them and encourage them and use whatever gifts that you've given us in whatever ways uh, make sense to just help them uh, as they go through this trying time in their lives Lord that we would continually lift them up in our prayers that they would be on our hearts uh, without ceasing throughout the days uh, to come I thank you for them and their ministry among this Uh, flock, these believers that are here tonight, I thank you for them. Uh, I ask that as we open your word that you would seal my lips, that I would speak nothing of myself, Lord. Uh, If if there's anything that I do that is is worthy of anything, let it be uh, presenting your your word in a way that would cause us to question things that we believe falsely and that we would hold tightly to things that we hold to that are in fact true. Lord, let us uh, press into your word, and I pray that your word would be pressed into our lives, that we would be made more useful for you. I thank you so much for Christ, for the cross. I thank you for this gospel that we are uh, digging into and trying to just uh, push in on, Lord. I ask that in the weeks to come that you would just continue uh, to work in us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, if we speak and your Holy Spirit does not move, then it it will be completely and utterly ineffective. Uh, But, Lord, if your Holy Spirit moves in us, then we will be changed in ways that we could never have anticipated. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for Christ and the cross. I thank you for the Father who would send the Son for people like us. Lord, as we open your Word, let your Spirit move in this place. It's in Christ's name. And always for His glory. Amen. Alright, so we're going to be in Romans today. uh, Chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. Like I said, there's going to be two major things that we're going to try to do today. Uh, So I'm going to read through this text once. And then we're going to ask some questions. And we're going to look around in Romans. Uh, Specifically, there's a couple of things... Uh, pertaining to the question that I'm going to raise to you tonight, that I want to uh, show you a couple of places in Romans so that you know that the questions that I'm posing, that I I intend to help us to work through these over the weeks to come, uh, but uh, sometimes the questions that we pose uh, may take many, many studies and much digging into God's Word for us to, to get a firm enough foundation uh, to start answering those questions. But I, I, I believe it's good to ask them up front so that we can be preparing and tilling the soul of our hearts and our minds so that when those truths are ready to grow, that everything will be 
everything will be in place for that. So uh, let's begin in Romans chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit, in the gospel of His Son. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I might now at last succeed to come to you. For I long to see you, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want to be do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So we're still in the introduction to this book. But one thing that I hope to do as we kind of dig into this is to show you that, that there's no part in Scripture that we should just pass by, right? Is that even in the way that Paul opens the book up, even in the way that Paul introduces himself and his purposes, that Paul is saying things that if we listen closely will give us an idea of what he's planning on laying out throughout this entire book. So one of the things that we're going to address today, and I want us to kind of just briefly think about and talk about what we saw last week as we started into Romans chapter 1, verse 1. We asked two questions. One pertaining to what it means to be a servant of Christ or what it means to be a slave of Christ, which we're going to dig into throughout the weeks to come. And another is what does it mean to be called and what does it mean to be set apart? And we kind of dug into those two a little bit, but probably just enough for us to start asking questions about those. And I hope that I presented those things in such a way as to maybe for some of you who have certain views of Scripture that it might rattle you a little bit. And then tonight for others who hold other types of views of Scripture, I hope to present some of the questions tonight to maybe rattle you and shake up your minds and the way that you think about things. So the two questions that we covered last week, again, servant of Christ or slave of Christ, and called or set apart. And we saw that this was set apart or called for the gospel of God. And, and even in the introduction there, we see that the gospel of God is the fulfillment of the promises of God concerning who? Concerning who? The Son. Right? So the promises that God made in the Old Testament, God has been fulfilling along the way concerning His Son for what primary purpose? We saw this last week. What was the primary purpose? What is the primary purpose of the Gospel? It's there in the text. For the sake of His name among all the nations. Right? So these are some truths that we pulled out of the text. Last week. But the questions, called, set apart, slave of Christ. And what do those things mean? One thing that we read last week that we kind of kind of put to the side that I, I figured we would touch on this week as we dug into the scripture that we've just read is an idea of the obedience of faith. So if we look back briefly at chapter one, verse five, it says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. So I want us to think tonight, as we kind of dig into this text, what is faith? Can I get anybody to volunteer up some ideas of what faith is? So absolute trust, anybody else? Any? Excellent, so we get... This is Scripture being quoted. Faith is the substance of those things for which we hope for and evidence of those things for which we cannot see. So this is, this is good. Anybody else got any ideas or thoughts on faith? Whose is faith? Right? When I say whose is faith, what do I mean by that? Where does faith come from? Come from Christ or from God? How, how is that? How does, it, how does it come from Christ or 
How does it come from God? So when I, when I read in the text here, Paul saying, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith. What is, where, whose faith? Whose faith? So where does faith come from? Does it? So, given to us, I I want us to ask these questions, right? So, last week, anyone who was aware of the wording that I used last week in presenting these ideas of being called or set apart would have seen that those were loaded with ideas, right? And, And this week, as I'm asking you about faith, I'm wanting to dig into your thoughts on these things. See, what do you think? Where do you, where does this come from? Right? Where do we get these ideas? Right? I'm not telling you that your ideas are wrong. So, so, that's not, but I want us to think about when we say things, where do they come from? So they come from our heart, they come from our minds, they come from the things which we believe. Where do we get these ideas from? Where should we get these ideas from? From the Holy Spirit teaching us, and specifically teaching us through Scripture. And we're not saying Holy Spirit teaching us through dreams or visions or something like that. The Scriptures reveal to us truth, right? Now I want us to think of some other things. I want us to consider some other things too, because I want us to be very, very careful, right? I am man, and I can very easily make mistakes, right? And this is kind of a side note to the Scripture itself, but I think it's a critical note to the way that we approach Scripture. We should take for ourselves counselors in the Scripture. Wise counsel, right? A wise person will take to themselves many wise counselors, right? But we understand, ultimately, that even counselors can be wrong. Right? So when we approach Scripture, who has authority? Counselors or Scripture? Scripture has authority. Which means what? That it is absolutely critical that you read God's Word. Right? Now I understand, and I'm all about you getting you some commentaries and bringing them in and looking to help you dig in deep and listening to good preaching, right? I'm up here today hopefully giving good preaching, right? But let us not neglect the fact that if we know God, we know God supernaturally. And how does that come? How do we have faith? I want us to think about this. And we're going we're gonna to get there, right? And again, we're going to jump a little forward in Scripture when we're thinking about this idea, knowing that we're going to be digging through Scripture to get there, right? But I want, you to sh- I want to show you first that this idea of faith is very fundamental. So for us to understand the Gospel, we must understand this concept of faith, and we must figure out what is it that Paul is telling us. Right? It's absolutely critical. I want to show you how critical. Verse 5, he uses this phrase right here. He says his apostleship or his purpose, all those things that he's been called, that he's told us there in the very opening words. He's saying it's for one thing, right? Through who, or he says, I'm, I'm just going to read from verse 1, right? And then we're going to focus on verse 5. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, right? And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, and here's the phrase, to bring about the obedience of faith. And in this, I want you to see this, in this, that thing for which I said the gospel was first and primary for, 
which is the glorifying of the name of Christ for His name's sake, how is that brought about? Through the obedience of faith. Right? That's the Scripture. You're chaining it together to bring about the obedience of faith. Flip to the very last chapter of the book of Romans. I want you to see how Paul closes out this book. I want, to, I want you to see that this phrase that he's opened up with here in Romans, he uses to close this book out. Looking at the last verse, I'm going to start reading in verse 25 of chapter 16 of Romans. This is the close of this book. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the, prophet, through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the demand of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Right? So I want to point this out to you because there's something going on through this entire book that he's trying to show us and lay out the gospel. That here at the end, before he says what he says there, to the, to the one and only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the purpose of everything. The bringing about of the glory of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Right? And here we find at the end this chaining of obedience of faith. So what is that? Right? What is that? And that, the question we're kind of bringing up here and wanting us to explore and to think about. Because these are some critical things that are going to be very important for us tying together some of these ideas that we're going to dig through as we start pressing on. But I want you to see this as, 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 as we dig through this. I want you to understand that Paul's not throwing out random ideas and random thoughts, but he's got a purpose that the Holy Spirit is fulfilling in the writing of this letter that literally every single word, when I tell you every single word matters, do you see how beautifully tied together God's word is? Right? These opening like this and then closing like this. Right? If I were to try to write something like this for you, I would fail miserably in my attempts to write something so beautifully and well organized. Right? As God's Word. Right? So let, first and foremost, let God's Word be the thing that illuminates your understanding of who God is. Right? First and foremost. So that personal study of God's Word. Right? Let me lift that up above hearing me preach. Right? Is that you should be seeing God's Word for what it is. You want to know God? You know God primarily through His Word. Right? That means that we should not be neglecting it until Sundays or neglecting it until Wednesdays. That's kind of just a side note there. Alright? So let's go back and let's think again about faith. Seeing now the just how important this idea or this concept is. Paul literally opening with it and closing with it all for that sake of the name of God's glory and uh that being proclaimed throughout the nations. I want us to think about faith, and I want us to look at a couple of places in the book of Romans where we're going to see this idea of faith playing out. This is, in some ways, too, maybe a petition to you, a hope that as I preach through this book, that you yourselves will be studying through this book on your own, right? So that when we get to different sections, that it's not the first time that you've ever heard it. So a lot of the way that I'm trying to present this and trying to kind of set this study up is so that I can spur you yourself personally into study of this book. Because this book will change you, right? God will move and work in your life in such a way when you start digging into this that it will, that it will change the way that you look at every aspect of your life. So in uh, the book of Romans chapter 10, we're going to, and this is, like I say, if you, if you know anything about this book, and we kind of talked shortly about the layout and structure of this book, and I said that 9, 10, and 11, there was going to be some deep stuff that we dig into when we get there. Uh, no doubt and no coincidence that the scripture that I want to point you to uh, when we start thinking about faith and where does faith come from, right, is I want us to look at this, right? 
again, the centrality of Christ and the gospel, man, and, and the gospel known to us through His Word, okay? So verse 17 of chapter 10 of the book of Romans. If you would turn there, I'll give you a second. Verse 17 of chapter 10 of Romans. So faith comes from hearing. Now, is this audible hearing? Does this mean that if you're deaf, you cannot have faith? No, no. What kind of hearing is this? This is understanding, right? So understanding. So faith comes from hearing or understanding or experiencing God's Word is what we're going to find. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through what? The Word of Christ, right? Is that what? So we hear, we see Word of God in the King James here, the Word of God, and this would be the Word of God concerning Christ. So how does faith come? Ask again. Hearing what? The Gospel. Okay? So I want us to think about faith. I want us to think about your faith. And I want us to understand without the work of God, faith is nothing. Right? So when we have faith in the... I preach to you the Word of God and you have faith in the Word of God. That faith finds its footing finds its ground in the truth of God, not in your believing it, right? Because you could believe a lie, right? So first and foremost, the truth of the gospel is where the value is found. The resurrection of Christ is where the power of your faith is found. Do you hear me, church? That you could place your faith in something empty. And there's a lot of people in this world placing their faith in something that is of no regard. And there are people that are dying for things that they believe that are of no regard. So let's not think that the value is in the faith itself. But something happens when we believe in the gospel. When we hear it and it opens us. Right? So, where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? Hearing through the Word of Christ. So if you want to believe, if you want to, and here's we're going to, we're going to see that faith just does not start with believing in Christ, but it continues in believing in Christ. And it grows from believing in Christ. Right? So faith is not stagnant. Right? Faith is not something that you once had and that it's died out. Right? We place our faith in Christ and I'm telling you, if you place your faith in Christ ten years down the line, your faith grows in Christ. Okay? But how does that happen? Faith comes how? Hearing what? The Word of God. So if the first, when what we would call being saved, comes by hearing, then growth comes by what? Hearing. So if we separate ourselves as believers from the Word of God, what would then happen? Faith is not growing from that. Faith is not flourishing in that. And this may be why for some of you, when you go out throughout the week, the week is harder on you than it should be. Because you don't place the value in God's Word that you should. Faith comes from hearing. Not just on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, or Wednesdays. This morning, if you, if you thought that I did a good job in Spanish, right? What I want you to know is that that was a complete show. Right? I'm horrible at Spanish. But I love God's Word. And I want to embed it deep in my heart and in my mind. Right? And I'm doing that now with Spanish. Right? So that throughout the week, if, if I'm on my drive to work and I can't be looking at my Bible and driving to work, you know where it's at? It's here. It's here. I can hear it on the go. 
I place high value in God's Word so that I would set it to memory, set it to my heart, so that I can teach it and preach it to myself. God's Word is valuable, and we treat it as though it's nothing. Faith comes where? From hearing. Hearing what? God's Word about who? About Christ. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Let's continue on. I want us to flip back a little bit. We're going to kind of be flipping closer to the text that we're based in tonight. We're going to look now at another passage of text that we will come to in the coming weeks. Uh, Chapter 4 in verse 3. Right? So we're going to dig into all of these deeper when we get there, but just so that we can see the importance and start thinking about this question, I want us to to look at a couple of places that we are going to come to. Verse 3, for what does Scripture say? And that is critically important. And this is why I say that it's important and it's good for us to learn from wise counsel and good preaching, right? Like throughout the week when I'm sitting at work, I've got like John Piper going on the headphones, right? I'm listening to some good preaching throughout the week. But John Piper is not God's Word, right? Landing key is not God's Word, right? John Calvin is not God's Word. Matthew Henry is not God's Word. God's Word alone is God's Word. You follow me? God's Word alone is worthy of esteem. God's Word tells us the truth that opens up our faith, church. This place, our faith alone, in Christ alone, because God's Word preaches that. Okay? So here we see the Scripture saying, the Scripture saying, for what does Scripture say? This is what we should always be asking ourselves. This is what we should always be considering. What does Scripture say? Scripture says this, plain and simple. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Who believed God? This is the guy from which all of the New Testament faith is kind of pointing back and looking at, look at the faith that Abraham had. And what does God's Word say about Abraham? God made promises to Abraham. And quite simply, Abraham believed God. Who believed God? Who believed? Who believed? Abraham believed. Let's step back now and let's look again at the Scripture that we are digging into. Here we see two places where Paul mentions in the current context your faith and each other's faith. Alright, so this idea of faith, I want us to look at this again. Uh, Verse 8, first I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith or because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Whose faith? The Roman church's faith is proclaimed in all the world. This is a big deal. We go down further, verse 11, he says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Verse 12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Both yours and mine. Whose faith? Each other's. Yours and mine. We're, we're, do we need to go into that anymore? It's pretty simple and straightforward. We follow that. Right? So unless from just to keep you from thinking last week that if you could put me in any particular kind of box about the way that I look at the gospel and the way that I look at God's sovereignty and the way that I look at these big things, you can't put me in a box. This, you can't. So as we dig through this, I hope that we let God's Word stand for itself. Right? So now I want us to dig through 8 and 8 through 15 and look at the practical things that Paul is laying out here with an idea towards faith, with an idea towards the centrality of the gospel and Christ being proclaimed on high to all the nations through this gospel. 
So let's start verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. So the first thing practically that I want us to see from this is that our thanksgiving to God goes through who? Christ. Right? So when we praise God and we lift each other up, who's it go through? Through Christ. Right? Who is the way? Is there any other way by which you come before God? So can you thank God apart from Christ? Right? So let our understanding of all that we hope for and all that we place our faith in, understand that it's through Christ. So when I thank God for you, when I thank God for all that He's done in my life, through Christ. Right? Through Christ. So He's thankful for a very specific thing. So up in the earlier... Up in the earlier verses, we see where he's talking about the gospel and obedience to faith for the sake of the name of Christ. Now I want you to see this. He's thankful through Christ for the Roman church here because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. That's something interesting, right? I want you to understand something interesting. The wording that he used here, right? When we think of what should be proclaimed throughout the world, what should it be? Christ proclaimed throughout the world. Right? But isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that Paul is thankful because the faith of the church is proclaimed throughout the world? What happens when the church's faith is known? It follows that the name of Christ is glorified. I want you to understand that because Paul has already laid out for us that all of this is for the sake of His name being known. And He's very happy that the faith of the church is proclaimed because in the proclamation of their faith, again, you could believe in a lie. When the proclamation of the faith that is in truth is proclaimed in all the world, that's something to rejoice over through Christ. Right? Because whose name is made great? God's name is made great. Christ's name is lifted high when those who believe in Him, they're talking about. Right? So we should rejoice when the church's faith grows and when, the, when it's talked about here and there. Because when they're talking about us, do you know what they're talking about? They're talking about Christ. Do you know why? Because we're worth nothing on our own. The message that we proclaim is that. So that if we're being talked about, Christ is being talked about. This is critical. So Paul is very thankful for this. And I want you all to hold on to that too. We're going to come back to that later. So let's keep pressing through the text here. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. Whose witness God's witness, how do we serve? With the Spirit, right? Now, clearly he's not talking about that he just sits around and does uh, quote-unquote spiritual things all day, right? He's out working, he's out getting beat, he's out being shipwrecked, right? We're going to see a critical thing as we start digging through the text and Paul starts talking about Spirit and Paul starts talking about flesh, Right? When he's talking about spirit, what I want you to understand is he's not talking about ghostly, fluttery things. Right? He's talking about life lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. This power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Right? Dwells in us. So when we serve, we serve in our spirit. In the gospel of His Son. Right? So a service is just layered on thick with the gospel of who? Christ. That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. A lot of practical stuff. 
dug out of this. We know Paul has not been to this church. Right? We know Paul did not found this church. We know he knows quite a bit of people from this church when we get to the end of the book. But I want you to understand this, that Paul is not lying in saying this. It's written in Scripture. So Paul, a man, praying always. And I want us to practically think about the way that we pray and the way that we approach prayer. I think sometimes we find it hard to do it for those that we know, much less... To lift up prayers for people that we've never seen, that we do not know. Yet what we find here is Paul praying. And I'm not talking about he just got the call out and he listened to it and said, Lord, be with them and stuck it back in his pocket. He says that he's been praying, that they're always, he says, without ceasing, I mention you, always in my prayers. Asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So he wants to come to them. And we're going to see some, some interesting, interesting things in this. Verse 11. For, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And we kind of touched on this this morning, didn't we? So Dustin, you did an hour and a half on it, and I don't know what time we're running now, but we're going to hit a little bit more on spiritual gifts. And I wonder, I wonder why we would serve one another. What's the reason? Ultimately, when we serve one another, what happens? When we use our gifts, as we've been called to use our gifts, what happens? So many good answers. God's glory, the body of the church, lifted up, encouraged. Ultimately, Christ's name will be glorified in it. Right? Through many correct answers, by the way. As a, there was, none of those that I heard were wrong. Ultimately, all of this is leading to the glory of Christ being proclaimed. Right? I want you to notice something else too. So he longs to go there, right? It's not like, man alive, I gotta go see these people, right? He's like, mm, I got better things to do. Like, where does he wanna be? He wants to be in service, he wants to be lifting up the church, right? Practically, could we have the same kind of passion and desire? Could we long, to, can we say that about ourselves, that we long to be with one another? That we long to be with the church? That we care for one another so much that when we're not together, we would continually be in prayer for one another? Like These are some very practical things that we can see from Paul in just the way that he's opening this book up. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, right? So we get that. Like, Paul's an apostle, and it's, it, I imagine it would probably be a pretty big deal if Paul showed up at your church, right? Kind of bigger than Billy Graham. Like, this guy's is an, he's writing Scripture. It, it, invite your friends. Paul's about to show up, right? But what do we find here? He, clearly, he's going to strengthen them when he comes. Clearly, he's going to use the gifts that he has to strengthen them. He's an apostle. What does he say? What does he go on to say here? That is, that we may be mutually encouraged. Paul was expecting when he came among believers that he himself would be encouraged by their gifts. And now when we think about the gifts that we have, and if I were going to put my gifts on a scale where Mine's here, and Paul's is over here. Paul's gifts vastly outweigh mine. And what Paul is saying here is that it would be important for me to share my gift with him. That's what he's saying. When he's laying this out for the church, when he gets there, he expects that they will also encourage him. 
If you think that you can't encourage somebody, you are outright wrong. If you think that your gift is insignificant, you're outright wrong. You're believing a lie. No matter how strongly you believe it, it's still false. Your gifts are important. They are absolutely critical. You could be encouraging me. You could be encouraging each and every other person in here. Use your gifts. And look forward for others to use theirs. Right? Man, I love preaching. But I love hearing my brothers preach. So I'm not like, I want to preach every single service. Every single one. I want to stand up here because my gifts outweigh everybody's gifts. Right? No. Absolutely not. I want to be encouraged. And I want to encourage you. This is the mindset, practically, that Paul has in looking and longing to go and see the church. He sees that their faith will mutually encourage one another. Verse 13, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I might reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now I want us to take a a, a moment here, and I want us to pause, and I want us to understand also that the ways and the purposes and the mind of God is beyond us. And the plans that we make may never come true. So we should not wait to be servants. We should not wait to serve someone else until a better day comes. We should not wait until we get to Rome. Because we may get to Rome in chains. Right? Paul did not get to Rome in the way that Paul here thought he would be getting to Rome. And I want us to understand this. That God did not fail in that. Right? That as Paul is writing this and his heart's longing to go to Rome, that God knows he's going to Rome. And he knows that he's going to Rome in a way that he never anticipated going to Rome. And you know what? Ultimately, the truth that Paul tells us here, that God is working all things together for good, He is, in fact, doing. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't anticipate it. So he wants to go, yet he's been hindered. How has he been hindered? He's been hindered in service. He's been serving in other ways that has prevented him from going. He's not been hindered because he's been sitting and doing nothing. Let's not be confused at all about that. Verse 14, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians both to the wise and to the foolish. So when it says Greeks and barbarians here, what we should think of in our mind is what we would consider civilized and uncivilized. Right? He is here saying that his obligation to service, his obligation as a servant or slave to Christ is not to necessarily his people. Right? Right? He's obligated because of the gospel and the need for the gospel to all people. Right? We need to understand this. That the truth that we have and the truth that we've accepted and where we've placed our faith lays on us an obligation. We are like Paul, obligated. When we have the truth that we have, we must Share it. It compels us to share it. Verse 15. So I'm eager. Again, he was longing to see them before. Now he's eager. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also, or to you also who are in Rome. Man, there's some... Again, this would probably, in all likelihood, most of the time we're passing through this text, we're jumping straight past this to 16 to 17, and we're going to get there next week, and it's some good stuff, right? But let us not pass over this, because it is important, right? 
what do we know about the church in Rome? We've seen it tonight. What do we know about them? Some, some interaction from the, from the pews. What do we know about them? Can y'all give me some, some facts that we know at this point? They've grown in faith. They're being dis- their faith is being discussed. This is absolutely critical when we hear this. When we hear what Paul is saying. Right? Their faith is being discussed. What do we know then about the church in Rome? If their faith is being discussed throughout the world. So they're in God's word. They're pushing forward. This is not a letter to them of condemnation. This is not a letter to them of you got to get things right. The church in Rome, in which Paul has never been, is doing good. Right? It's doing good. So good that Paul is thankful for them that their faith is being proclaimed throughout the world. He's never been there. Yet he's heard about them. He's never been there, yet he's heard about their faith. And still, what does he want to go do? What is he eager to go do? Preach the gospel. Now, I want us to stop for a second and think about this. Because oftentimes, when we think of preaching the gospel, what do we try to do? And it's really ingrained in just the way that we do everything. Like, it's the reason it probably feel uncomfortable, y'all, if I don't do an altar call or something tonight. Right? Like, when we think that the gospel being preached is only for, we say salvation, but justification. Right? That's in our minds when we think about the importance of the gospel. We think the gospel is absolutely critical to getting people into heaven. But Paul here, writing a letter to a church who apparently is doing things right, their faith is being proclaimed throughout the world, desires to come to them and preach the gospel. What does that tell us about the gospel? That we need it. As believers, in all stages of our lives, we need the gospel. No point do we outgrow the gospel. No point do we get to a place to where we say the gospel served its purpose in my life. Now I can move on to other things, right? No other point do we say, now I can go on to the deeper things of Scripture. The gospel is the depths of Scripture. And all of Scripture points to this hope. This is critical not to pass over. Because for you... Believer, your faith now grows in the hearing of God's Word about Christ. So let us not think that because we believe today that we no longer need to hear the Gospel. And this is why I think that ultimately our ideas about what the Gospel are are wrong. We're very limited in our view. Like when we think of the gospel, we think of it as just making us right with God in His sight, right? We call it being saved. What we're going to find as we press on through this book is that the gospel is so much more than that. Your hope for living righteously in this world is found where? In the gospel. Your hope for overcoming is found where? In the gospel. So let us not think that we've outgrown the gospel. Because at the point that we think we've outgrown the gospel, we've likely overlooked what the gospel is to begin with. So I want us to end on that. And I want you in the the weeks to come to, to think about what it is to believe, to have faith, what it is to be set apart, to be called, what it is to be slaves of Christ. All of these things we're going to really be digging into throughout. But one thing that I don't want you to think is that, is that you've exhausted the depths of what the gospel can mean for you. Right? Because if you think that the gospel is only about getting you, quote-unquote, saved, 
then you haven't seen anything yet. There is power in this. To the pressing on, to the perseverance of your faith, church. There's so much hope found in this gospel. Let us close in prayer and then we will uh, we'll worship. Lord, I thank you for this day and thank you again for letting us gather in this place. I, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts and our lives. Lord, I ask that you would show us uh, the truth of your word that as individuals we would cherish your word uh, and, and at every opportunity that we would seek to learn from you directly. Lord, I thank you for giving me the opportunity and the ability to stand here and to teach this word. But Lord, if they just hear it from me and go home and do nothing about it, then it is useless and I'm just wasting my breath. I, I pray that they would be encouraged to open up your word for themselves, that they would be unafraid and digging into your word, Lord. That they would just spend time with you. And I pray in all of this that we would learn more clearly how the gospel applies to our lives, Lord. That we as a church would be faithful in the ministries that you've placed us in as individuals that we would always be looking to use our gifts for the edifying of your church. Lord, that we would never uh, downplay what it is that you've uh, gifted us to do, whatever area of service that you've placed us in, that we would not think one higher than the other or one more valuable than the other, but we would be one as Christ and the Father and the Spirit are one, Lord, that we would... Uh, long and eagerly look to serve one another for the sake of your name, for the preaching of your gospel among all peoples and all places and all tongues. It's for Christ's glory. Amen.